the first two times I preached uh, was, was kind of like fairy tale land, right? Like there was super, I had time, I could sit down, I could, I could study for, for a month before I prepped the message, right? And this past time, the third time, the Lord was like, okay, I'm going to give you some stumbling blocks. I'm going to give you some, some real life issues, right, that come up. And uh, real life happened to be uh, on Friday, I, I had the chance, a privilege to watch seven fourth and sixth graders, seven, right? That was like real life for me. Um, and so I had this message. I would like, you know, I'm, I'm wanting to get it punked, you know, punched out. I wanted to refine it. I wanted to study it. And I, I watched seven kids on Friday, right? And luckily my wife was there with me and it was a ton of fun, right? But uh, real life happened at that point. And, and I realized that, oh, not always prepping the message is just going to come. You have a month um, to study. You have a few weeks to study. No, it was like, you know, and, but I'm, I'm thankful. This makes me more thankful that it's not me who speaks in you and works in you, but it is the Spirit and it's the Lord that works in you. Um, and so I'm just thankful as I stand up here that it's not me, but it's the work of the Lord um, in you. And so what I want to do is, is look at where we've been um, in Second Peter. Um, in the past few weeks, if you haven't been here, uh, it, Peter starts out reminding us of the gospel, right? He says, Jesus saved us to walk with him in a growing faith that is fruitful and and effective. Um, See, our salvation is his doing, right? Our salvation is, our faith in him is a gift. Um, And that's what we talked about, right? It's the work of justification, right? Through Jesus's work for us. Not our performance for Jesus, but his performance for us, right? It's the work of regeneration, right? The Holy Spirit in us, right? God is sovereign in our salvation, Right? We are responsible to make every effort to walk with him in a growing faith where God works through us as we walk in relationship with him. But it's the work of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that brought you through this door this morning. Right? The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead okay, is the same spirit that brought you in this morning. And that's the same spirit that resides in us as Christians. And I wanted, I wanted to go back to that and see how it all flows together. See, God initiates, we respond. God leads, we follow. God commands, we obey. God changes us, right? Not the people surrounded us, right? But it's, it's God who changes us, and we live in light of his work. Um, Chris talked about supplements, and I want you to stick with me here. Um, talked about supplements, right? The supplements that we talked about, uh, faith, virtue, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love, and knowledge, right? And I want to—these are all God's HGH for us, right? Human growth hormone, right? That's what it is. So let's, let's play this out, right? HGH, scientifically, physiologically, this is what it does. It promotes and increases the synthesis of new protein tissues, right? New muscle created, check, right? HGH is a way it maintains our sleep patterns, right? And we get better sleep from it, right? Check, right? It produces more energy, right? It builds stronger bones, right? And so after taking HGH, you are a strong, energetic, well-rested, lean machine, right? And who wouldn't want to be that, right? Who wouldn't want to have that? Uh, but since we're not in the MLB, we're not in the NFL, right? We're going to refrain from taking that stuff, right? We're going to refrain. But what we do have is in these things, in these things that Peter lists out are some serious supplements to our faith, right? And so what we need to, what we need to see is it's a warning um, that all of these things take work and patience, right? That we need to work, we need to strive to, we need to grow in these things. Uh, and in the same way we can be physically alive, but physically unhealthy, we can be spiritually alive, but spiritually unhealthy as well. 
And that's where, Peter, or that's where Chris talked about and Peter lists out. Um, so these supplements of our Christian faith, we need to continue to grow in, and they should become a more and more a part of our life. Um, and the one we'll be focusing on today is, is knowledge. Um, here's the thing with knowledge is we can put forth as much effort as we want. We can, we can do it. We can strive. We can study, right? But we are limited in our knowledge, right? We are always limited by what's available, always dependent on outside considerations and constraints. God is not limited, right? God, he creates anything he wants, as much of it as he wants, and he does this all out of nothing. He doesn't need any raw material. He doesn't need, um, he just makes it. The things of God, they're just, they're so far beyond us that we cannot comprehend. We're limited as human beings. We're limited by what we can afford, what we can gather, right? And that makes Bill Gates a beggar, right? Compared to God. Um, see, the thing is, we hear of scientists creating life in a laboratory, but this never happens, right? He can't create it just out of nothing, right? There's some raw material that he starts with. There's nothing confining God in that situation though, right? And as we look at this text today, what I want us to do is look at it with the realization that God knows every word in every language and every sentence and every paragraph and every book ever written, right? He knows every fact of history, past, present, future, right? He knows every bit of truth discovered and undiscovered, every proof of science known and unknown. He knows everything and owns everything. He's accounted for everything. He is sovereign. See, all we have, all we have in this book, all right, the Bible comes from God. Every bit of scripture. And we have access to it, to God, through Jesus. Right? Jesus tore the curtain. Right? Scripture is the story of Jesus. Right? From Genesis to Revelation, it points to our need for rescue. It points to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to read this text today and answer two questions. What is scripture? And how does, how does God's word point to Jesus? Simple, right? Simple um, and how we lay it out. And so let's turn to Second Peter 1, 16 through 21. And it's on page 875 in the great ESV Bibles sitting around you. Let's read. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you, would, you will do well to pay attention as a lamp, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for just your sovereignty. Lord, we thank you for your pursuit of us. Um, Lord, in our brokenness, uh, to, to become aware of our need for rescue. Lord, we thank you that we're not left alone. But Lord, we have your truth. We have your word. Um, Lord, and, and let us rid all doubt um, as we read through. Let us get rid of all the uncertainty and the, and the lack of faith, Lord, and trust you, um, Lord, and, and the truth that you have given us in the Bible. Lord, I am thankful that it is not me and my words that work, 
um, Lord, but it is your spirit that works. It is you that works. Um, Lord, change us today. Um, Let us walk out of here transformed um, by the message that you've laid um, on my heart. Lord, we love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Um, So so what is scripture? Uh, We see uh, that Peter has this this awareness, this knowledge that he wants to share with us, right? He has this insight, this understanding that he wants us to, to get. Um, and I want to look at what kind of knowledge is Peter talking about? Um, he's not talking about uh, ace test type of knowledge, right? And, and I want to pull from Proverbs 2.6 um, on, on what kind of knowledge he is talking about. Proverbs 2.6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. See, the knowledge that he's talking about is a personal insight, right? Is an awareness, is an understanding that comes from within. It's not how well we do on the test, right, at the end of this book, right? But it's the understanding, it's the awareness of what has been done for us in Christ. And so all of this comes, all this knowledge comes from God, right? And Peter stresses this. Peter shows this throughout Second Peter. He shows this uh, from his epistles that he's written. Um, we look at verse 2. It says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. Verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Him, right? Verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 20, as we look forward. For after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Looking ahead again, chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in the grace of the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, what Peter is pointing to is that Christian faith does not flourish in ignorance, right? We have this truth. We have this that he lays out for us, that God lays out for us, right? And we need to be in it. We need to search for it. We need to dive into it, right? And grow in our understanding and awareness, right, of our own sinfulness and our own need for rescue, right? And that's what we have here. We have truth laid out in here. Um, we don't want to just want to hear the word and put our own spin on it. Um, we, want to read, we want to read this book to obtain an understanding and awareness. And so as we look, we look at verse 16, right? For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, right? These, it's not made up. This stuff in here is not made up right? They, they're clever, like what, what Peter is saying. There's going to be cleverly devised myths, right? There's going to be good stories, right, from people that have a lot of respect, right? They may sound good. They may even proclaim God, right? But are they truth, right? Are they, are they coming from, from his spirit? Are they coming from what he has laid out? Why didn't Peter and, and the fellow apostles fall into this trap, right? Because they experienced it. They were eyewitnesses, right? They dove into it and searched for it, right? And they became, became aware all by the grace of God, right? See, what happens is we can read this, we can walk away, or we can even hear this from somebody and say, well, that sounds good. I like that. This is what I believe, right? Versus diving into it and, and, and seeing it for yourself, becoming eyewitnesses. But by the grace of God, we can become eyewitnesses. We, become, we can become witnesses from the knowledge that God has given us, right? When we see, um, when we see this, Scripture brings awareness, it brings awareness to us, right? And so it brings awareness for our need for rescue, right? And that our hope is in Christ's coming. Um, in verses 16 and 17, uh, Peter is referring to the transfiguration of Jesus. 
Transfiguration meaning a change in form or appearance, an exalting, glorifying, or spiritual change. Let's turn to, to Matthew 17, and let's, let's read the transfiguration experience. Matthew 17, we'll read 1 through 8. I'll give you a few seconds to get there. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to him them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And I love that. I love that last, they saw no one but Jesus only. Right? What they experienced was the full glory, right? What they experienced was what is to come for future believers, right? In Christ, right? All we need to see is Jesus. Here on this earth, we need to look to Jesus, right? We need to look to him as our guide, right? And only Jesus, and that is more than enough. So what he does, what Peter does, is zero in on the promise, right? The promise of Christ's second coming, right? And his experience of Christ's majesty and his transfiguration has made Peter and makes us more sure of what we have in this book, right? What Peter and James and John were granted to see was a partial glimpse of what Christ would be like when he comes again, right? And so that's why, why, why Peter goes on to say what we have is more sure, right? All of this is more confirmed to us because we have eyewitness accounts, right? We have this. We have it as, as our truth, right? And so scripture is our lamp, right? It gives us hope and our guide, right? And so what we see in verse 19 as we go on, as we turn back to Second Peter, is, um, is Peter comparing that hope to a lamp shining in the night. We see in verse 19, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to you, which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. We need to pay attention to it, right? Peter is saying, pay, pay attention to it, right? It is a lamp, right? And this reference is common, um, in, in Scripture, uh, but a powerful one. Um, in Psalm 119, 105, um, has, it, has it laid out perfectly, and this is where Peter is getting it from, is your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, right? Scripture is our hope, right? Scripture is our hope. If we're reading this and we're not finding hope, right, then it, we need to look at it. We need to look at it and change the way we're looking at it, right? It functions to keep us on the path until the day that God's plan, ultimate plan in Christ's coming is revealed, right? They, the day that he's referring to is the, the coming of Christ, right? God's plan will be fulfilled, and we can have full assurance of that day. Um, and we can make full, he, he's going to make fully known to us his glory and his majesty, right? And so we're only, right now, we're only partially aware, right? God has only given us what we know here on this earth, right? God is so far beyond us and our understanding that we're limited in our knowledge, Right? And I want to go back and, and show what Peter's been talking about in chapter 1. Um, to sum it up, he's, he says, Be a people empowered by hope to lead lives of love. Let your confidence in the coming day 
of joy make you compassionate in the present time of affliction. And we see that, and we can move on to verse 20. And he says, knowing this first of all. Right away, we see knowing this first of all. And to make it make more sense, we can look back at verse 19. And Peter's telling us, pay attention to the word, right? He's saying, pay attention um, to the scripture, to what we have, because it's a lamp shining, right? And as we, to make more sense of it, we can take that, the separation out, and make it one full sentence. And we see, and it can sound like this, pay attention to the prophetic word, knowing this first prophecy of scripture comes from someone's, not from someone's own interpretation, right? There's a close tie between 19 and 20, right, as we look at it. Verse 20 is telling us how to pay close attention to the word. So how we pay attention to the word is realizing that the true meaning of scripture does not come from the mind of the reader. We can't walk away and say, oh, I think I like this. I like the way that sounds to me. It's making me feel good. I'm going to walk away with it. And that's what I believe, right? That's why I'm going to walk away from my my daily devotions, right? The meaning of scripture does not change with every new reader. And that's what Peter's referring to here. Um, I don't know if, if you've all have heard this story about Thomas Jefferson and what he, he did with his Bible. The third president, writer of the Declaration of Independence, took this, sat down, took many, many years to do this, cut out every bit of supernatural, every bit of any kind of divine intervention, every miracle ever performed in this book. Thomas Jefferson took, cut that, literally took a razor, cut it out, right? And then opened up his Bible, and that's what he believed in, right? He was picking and choosing what he wanted to believe in because he just couldn't, couldn't wrap his mind around the miracles, the divine, the supernatural, right, that God has bestowed in us in this, in this word, right, the truth. That's what he did. And we can't do that, right? Peter is saying we can't be like that. We can't pick and choose what we want to believe in, right, because the meaning of this book is unchanging. It's unending. And so we see that there's true meaning here and there's a false meaning. Right? And Peter writes in the next chapter that these false teachers are out there, right? Right away, he talks about the false teachers. And they don't necessarily reject all of Scripture, right? They just twist it to suit their own purpose, just kind of like Thomas Jefferson did, right? He didn't, didn't want to believe in the miracles, so he cut it out, right? And that's what he believed in, right? And so what verse 20 is pointing to is we as humans who... God, whom God created are not entitled to interpret prophecy or scripture generally according to personal purposes, right? Scripture is God's view on man and reveals the heart of God in Christ. It's not the other way around. It's not man's view on God. So we can pick and pull what we want, right? We can go on to verse 21 and it gives us a reason why. Why is this the case, right? Because no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, Right? For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Right? And we see that it all comes from God. We see that they spoke from God. We cannot fill it with our own ideas, right? but God intends that they carry his ideas. We can't mold it like clay to our own desires. Scripture, God has spoken, not man, and our aim must be God's meaning, um, not our own. And so, why is Peter writing this in, in Second Peter? Why does he decide to, to wrap around and, and look at this? Um, we can look at this in the whole context of, of his epistles. Right? Peter's goal in chapter 1 is to confirm our call and election, to enjoy our salvation that was given to us by the grace of God. He reminds us that genuineness of having faith through the imputed righteousness of Christ is tested and proved by whether it produces virtue and knowledge and self-control and patience and godliness, brotherly affection and love. 
He reminds us that God has already given us all of these things, the power needed to live this way through faith in Christ, right? This power becomes effective in our daily lives through God's great promises, his word, what we have in here. So as we focus on scripture, as we focus on the promises that we have, right, and our hope in Christ, we are guarded from temptations to sin, right? We're, and these promises are to be found um, where? Where are they be found? They're to be found in here, right? So when we need encouragement, when we feel that, that day, right, of Christ coming will never come, right, where we feel that it's so far away, right, we go to here, the, that, that the life of self-control, patience, brotherly affection, and love is really going to lead to glory, we can go to here and receive encouragement, right? We can receive truth. Uh, and when we do go to it, we can go to it with the realization that these are not just words from men, that they, what they felt like writing. They wanted to encourage you, but this is truth. They are from God. They are from men moved by the Holy Spirit. When you seek his meaning, there you will find hope. And I go to Paul um, in Romans, and he says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so we see how we might go into reading scripture and interpreting scripture, not putting your own meaning onto it, um, but searching for God's. And if we stop there, if we stop and, and that's what we have, that's what we walk away with, then we still have this, this in, um, I think, this, this reaction to still put our own spin onto it, right? There's room for us as sinful, fallen human beings to still walk away and feel hopeless, right? And make it about us, make it about our own desires, our own intentions, right? And especially in the Old Testament, we can walk away from that book and feel pretty crummy, right? Feel hopeless, right? All the war, all the destruction, all the, all the death, right, in the Old Testament. And where is our hope after reading that, right? And our hope is in Christ. And that's where I want to go to right now. I want to go um, and show you that Jesus is the ultimate word, right? If we go into scripture, if we go into reading without Jesus on our mind, we are left hopeless, right? If we go into scripture with Jesus on our mind, what do we find? We walk away without Jesus on our mind. We walk away with a list of commandments, right? That we will never be able to live up to, right? As fallen sinful human beings. And apart from Christ, we are hopeless. Apart from him and his work on the cross and his finished work on the cross, we are hopeless. Um, But because of Jesus, his imputed righteousness, his justification that was given to us, um, we, Peter lays out that we do have hope in, in Scripture. We're able to read Scripture and walk away filled with joy for his work that was done for us. And so we need to go into Scripture with Jesus on our mind, right? He, he is the central message in here. If we can walk away with that, right, that is God participating in human life, coming near to us, right, expressing God's love for us, dying as our substitute, rising as the victor and building his church as a community of grace, Jesus isn't just the main character, of the story, right? Jesus is the story, right? And that's the entire, not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well. So we see humanity sees God in full light in Jesus, right? So scripture is not for man's own interpretation. It is, scripture is our lamp and it guides us. It is our hope, but scripture is all about Jesus, right? Scripture is God's ultimate word about human life, not human's view on God. And it reveals the heart of God in Christ. See, the deepest message of the Bible and the ministry of Jesus is the grace of God to sinners. But what happens is our human condition is that we're sinful and we're guilty and we suffer. But throughout the Bible, we see 
God taking the initiative, right? Pouring out his love to us to grace, grace to sinners and to suffering, all right? From his dealings with the people of Israel to the redemptive work of Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. And so by taking us through the story, bringing his grace, which is Jesus, to sinners, scripture reveals the heart of the Christian faith in Christ. All of scripture does. And Jesus talks about this in Luke 24, 27. And let's turn there. And Jesus is, he's talking, um, talking about pointing all of scripture points to him. Verse 27, in the beginning and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. What Jesus is saying is that all of this points to me. All of scripture points to me, right? Following his resurrection, he opened the Old Testament to teach others about himself, right? And so what we see is as we walk into um, scripture, when it is rightly interpreted, right? When it is rightly interpreted, his, his word ultimately points to Jesus, right? Our savior. And this is how we need to go into reading scripture, right? Connect its verses, its concepts, and events to Jesus. Be filled with his identity, right? And we walk away with ultimate hope in Christ and his identity um, instead of walking away hopeless. And so I want to go over uh, five main ways that we can use the Old Testament um, to reveal Jesus. Uh, and just briefly, um, just so we can walk away. And as, we, as, that, as much as this concept has changed my reading of Scripture, especially the Old Testament, I, want, I hope that it does the same for you. Um, and so the first way that we could do, that we can find Jesus, that we can point to Jesus in the Old Testament is prophecies, promises, right? That's what we have in this book. Um, it shows that God is sovereign and he rules all things. At the time of, of the Old Testament writing, 25% of the Bible um, was prophetic in nature. 25%, a quarter of it, right? It was God through human authors, by the power of the Holy Spirit, revealing future events in detail because God knows the future and he rules over it. So that's why this makes the Bible unique, right? Is people today would love to know the future, right? The investments, right? We want to know what stock is going to rise, right? So we can put all of our money into it and make a bunch of money. Sports competitions, right? What team is going to win? I'm going to put all my money on them, right? Hopefully it's not the Cubs, um, right? Uh, span of, and I'm a Cubs fan. Uh, span of life, right? How long am I going to live? What do I, right? I want to get my bucket list down before I die, right? But we are not God, and God knows all of these things. Uh, he writes scripture. He reveals the future, right? Through prophecy, he tells us about Jesus. One example uh, that I'll give one of, this is one of hundreds, and um, Nathan pointed to it in Ezekiel as well. One example is Isaiah 53, 11, um, leading up to it in 52 even. Uh, this was 700 years before Jesus was even born. 53, 11 says, Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. We see the great exchange of justification here, right? We see the work done um, through Jesus's performance, right? And so we have, we can point to Jesus in the Old Testament through prophecies, through the promises, right? So as you read, you can search for those, right? The second one is Christophanies or appearances. It's kind of like where Jesus plays like Where's Waldo, right? He just kind of pops up and he says, what's up? How's it going? You know, that's what, so we have these um, where he shows up um, 
as the son of God, the second member of the Trinity, right? Before he was born to Mary, he shows up and says, hey, how's it going? Um, so in, in an example of that is Isaiah 6, 1, um, where Isaiah writes, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. Right, and who did he see? John twelve forty one talks and tells us who he saw. Isaiah saw Jesus and spoke of his glory. Right, it's the same picture that John has of Jesus in the book of Revelation. He shows up in the Old Testament and kind of just says, hey, how's it going? Or um, does other things kind of like what he does to Joshua, right? Um, so it's called a Christophany or an appearance um, before the birth of Christ, right? But he shows up as the second member of the Trinity before he was born to Mary. Uh, the third way, so we have prophecy, we have Christophany or an appearance, we have types, or this could be foreshadowing. Where, and this is, this is where Jesus um, or somebody does something that's a little bit like Jesus, but Jesus shows up and one-ups that person, right? He's a one-upper, right, in the best possible way. Um, and this is the quote that we, that we saw way back that Chris um, that used, and it says, Jesus is the true and better Adam, right? And Jesus is the true and better Abel, right? Jesus is the true and better Abraham, and he goes on and on right? Jesus one-ups, right, those early prophets. He one-ups the early um, prophets and, and all of that, right? So we see that he shows up um, in the Old Testament, and, and, or he shows up and he one-ups them. He ones up Abel, um, Abraham, he one-ups them. Um, and we see Old Testament sacrifices as well. Um, this reveals to us that Jesus would come as our sacrifice, that temples were a meeting place between men and God. Um, well, Jesus is the greater temple, right? And, and Jesus is God among us, so we go to him to worship, and so on, right? So you, you get the picture um, of types foreshadowing Jesus um, coming, and, and the bigger and the better and um, a more able. Fourth way we see um, is events. So we have prophecies, Christophanies, types are foreshadowing, all pointing to Jesus, and now we have events. And the big one is, is obvious, is the Passover, right? Exodus 12. Pharaoh did not repent of his sin of hurting and enslaving God's people. Um, so God put a, put, a death, or put a penalty on them. And he said the result was death came to every household and the firstborn son in every household with one exception. Um, those homes who in faith and act of worship to the God of the Bible, right, in acknowledgement of their own sin and their own brokenness, took an animal, sacrificed it um, because the, sin, the wage um, for sin is death. Um, that animal was a substitute, right? And they took the blood of the animal and painted it over the doorpost of their homes. Death literally passed over their homes, right? So we see the Passover event, right? And they were spared from the wrath of God. So death came over every home except those who in faith were covered by the blood. So the wrath of God would pass over them. And we, that, that points to Jesus, right? We, we see that, right? That Jesus fulfilled the Passover, so we don't need to do this, right? Jesus is our Passover sacrifice, right? Once and for all, right? It is done. It is finished, right? And that's our identity, right? So Old Testament can point to Jesus in our events, right? In the events that we see, right? And, and the Passover event is just one of them. But search for it. Um, the last one being titles, right? This is self-explanatory, but... Um, is titles, right? There are various titles in the Old Testament that were given to Jesus, right? Isaiah from chapter 40 to 66 talks about someone called the suffering servant, right? This is Jesus, right? God is also referred to as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and it's the eternality of God, right, that he's referencing. He is without beginning and without end, right? And we see that the New Testament takes that eternal Alpha and Omega and gives it to Jesus, 
He uses son of man roughly 80 times in scripture. This comes and stems from Daniel 7, all right? 7, 13 through 14. There are many other examples that we can find of titles that are referencing Jesus, all right? And that's how we, we can point. We can go through. We can see prophecy and promises. We can see types. We can see foreshadowing. We can see Christophanies or appearances of Jesus. We can see these titles and these events, right, that all point to Jesus in the Old Testament. And what this does is it walk, when you walk away from reading the Old Testament and reading Scripture and the promises of God, right, we find Jesus. We find our identity in Him. We find our awareness of our need for rescue. And in our brokenness, Christ came, right? And took our sin, right? And we take his, his praise. We take it. We take his righteousness, his imputed righteousness to us, right? And so this has completely transformed my reading of scripture, right? And about a year and a half ago, maybe less than that, I was introduced to redemptive historical reading of scripture, right? Exactly what we just laid out here, pointing to Jesus. And it transformed the way that I look at scripture, right? I no longer walk away from the Old Testament, wanting to go play Call of Duty because of all the death that I saw, right? Right? Like, that's the truth, right? Like, oh yeah, I like that. No, like, I, walked away, I walk away seeing my need, seeing our need as human beings for Christ. And that's what I wanted to encourage you today. Use those five. There's, there's a lot more um, that you can look, look it up, research it, find it out for yourself, dive into it for yourself and see how do we point to Christ? Because as, gospel-centered, as a gospel-centered church, right, we hear that, what does that mean? It's simply, it's all about Jesus, right? His life, his death, and his resurrection. That's what gospel-centered means, right? We use that term. It's a cover-all term, right? That it can be if we don't have that focus on it, right? It's about Jesus and his work, his life, his death, his resurrection. That's what gospel-centered means. And if we're going to read this Bible and walk away with our identity in Christ, right? We need to point to Jesus, right? And our identity in him, right? And so, I hear this a lot. I see all I see is a list of rules that can find me, um, what I can and can't do. And there isn't freedom in this, right? But when we find our identity in Jesus, when we search for Jesus in the promises that we have, right? When we, when we find our identity in him, right? There is hope, right? We have hope because he is coming, right? He is returning, right? And so my goal standing up here is to, to help you realize um, is not, not our views on God, right? It's not human's view on God, but we have truth, right? We have God's view on man and his love for us through Christ, right? It is the story about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and our hope by having faith in him. So if you find yourself feeling discouraged as you walk away, um, feeling like you can never live up, it's true, right? But we have our identity in Jesus, right? Search for him. Pray, I just pray for your awareness, your need for rescue, um, by Jesus, the Son of God. In him, we have all things, right? And Jesus is truth. He is love. And because of him, God looks at us in the same way he sees his Son. Perfect, justified, and righteous. We need to be reminded of this on a daily basis. Dive into it on a daily basis. Martin Luther said, we need the gospel every day because we forget the gospel every day. There's nothing like knowing our need for Jesus to cure us of our gospel amnesia. Read scripture with him on your mind. It will inflame your hearts and make you realize there's nothing more than the gospel. There's just more of the gospel. Um, so let's, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you. Uh, Lord, thank you for the truth that you, you've given us. We thank you that you have not left us alone, but we have this, this lamp to our feet, Lord. Um, 
Lord, most of all, we thank you for Christ and, and his act on the cross, Lord, and what that means for us, right? The imputed righteousness that we have, our justification, the way that God looks at his loving son, he looks at us, Lord, because of Christ, we are able. Lord, through our faith in him, Lord, we can stand before the throne, right? And, and, and hear, well done, Lord. Um, let us look to that day. Let, us, let that be our hope, Lord. Uh, we love you, and we pray this in your precious name. Amen.